Series LLCs will let you create an infinite number of companies for free. So it's a great way to be able to scale your asset protection and your one to four unit space, as well as your syndication investments, notes, compartmentalize everything for free in that way. Welcome to Truly Passive Income. I'm Neil Henderson. And I'm Clint Harris. Well, Scott Royal Smith, welcome to Truly Passive Income. How are you, sir? I live in the dream, brother. How are you doing? Well, first question I need to ask is, where are you, Scott? Yeah, so actually right now I'm in Ure, Colorado. I'm taking two months out here to learn how to do ice climbing. And I got out a little bit last season and got the bug. So doing what I like to do best, working with high-level guides, learning all the, like, the technical skill sets and all the nerd stuff is my favorite. And then getting out there and being able to bash some ice, it's always a good time. So I'm loving it out here. It's beautiful. All right, hold on. We got to unpack that for a second. This is not like rock climbing when it's icy. This is climbing the waterfalls and stuff, like climbing up the ice columns and everything. Yeah, man. You're basically like weaponized with axis and spikes on your feet. And then you just get to like bash your way up like a sheet of ice. It's pretty fun. I can guarantee you like the end of the day when you come home, you're not mad about anything. You're fine. Anything that happened, you got it out during the day. Scott, that sounds like upper body strength would be a requirement there. Oh, dude, upper body strength, lower body strength, mid body strength, basically just have to be like one of the most fit human beings alive, which I'm not. But it is amazing how physically challenging it is to do this stuff. And I'm about to turn 39. So I was out there with this 23-year-old and I got to remember what that's like to be with a 23-year-old out doing outdoor physical stuff. And I was like, it's all wasted on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Now, is there a larger goal in this mine? Do you plan to climb Everest at some point or? Well, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro you know, a few years ago. That was one of the first things I did actually when I hit my first financial freedom metrics. Went through you know, real estate investing and buying single family homes way back in the day. So I've done the ultra high peak you know, climbs. I haven't climbed Everest, but you know, stuff that's in that kind of bracket. For me at this point, what it's really about, I just love learning. I love being outside. So I love to just try to pick up as many new skills as I can. Okay. So I'm going to take it from, I had a question about Kilimanjaro and then we'll get into real estate, I promise. So Kilimanjaro is on my bucket list. What's that like? I mean, my understanding is there's not a lot of climbing involved. It's just a long, arduous hike. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to run into class four, class five scrambles, you know, or anything like that. I'd say that, you know, there's a good reason to climb it during peak season. I actually climbed it when it wasn't peak season. And what that meant is we had summer gear and there was snow and ice all over the mountain. So I actually climbed it in the side of a whiteout where like our poles would actually just shoot through to the ground and we were hiking on ice and sliding down stuff. And that was pretty rough. You know, even the guides, when we got down, they had a pretty good laugh about, you know, how they got lost on top of the mountain, but we didn't know. And they were just like, yeah, we, we know we found our way down eventually. And I was like, I'm really glad you guys didn't tell me that because I was like negative energy level at that point. If you would have told me, I would probably just been like, I don't know what I'm going to do from here. This is terrible. But you know, it's one of those things, man, that really good to train for. I'd say it's going to make the whole experience more enjoyable. And the amount of pain you suffer through climbing an ultra high peak is equivalent to the amount of pleasure you find the next day. The next morning when you wake up, it's the equivalent to whatever pain you suffered through. That feeling of, I can't believe what I'm capable of is the first time in my life. I've done cage fighting. I've done all kinds of stuff. That is the biggest experience in my life where I was like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I made it through that. It's something I'd say if you're into it, it's definitely a unique life experience and to go for it, brother. 
Very cool. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey, your background, obviously as a real estate investor, also as an asset protection attorney, but kind of walk us through your journey and what got you to the point of doing cool stuff like that and having that time and location independence. You know, everything started for me when I was reading the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss after I graduated out of my undergrad. I must have read that book like 30 times. And I just became obsessed with the idea that life could be different than what everybody was showing me. I didn't really know how because I didn't know how to apply any of the stuff that he was doing really at that time. I was a professional tutor and I was training Muay Thai, kickboxing and jujitsu full-time and competing in that around in like the Texas area. And then eventually I was like, I am not good enough at fighting, getting kicked in the head way too many times. It's not enjoyable. I'm going to get to something different. So I went to law school and while in law school, I bought a transmission and auto repair shop and commercial building for $10,000, which was the back taxes. And that was my first foray into business and to real estate investing. I was like, well, I can sell it for 15. I'll make a quick five. You know, who cares, right? But I actually ended up flipping it, me and my partner to graduate from law school without any debt. And so I was practicing as an attorney, fell in love with real estate. I continued to buy a bunch of single family homes, running like a wholesale business essentially for real estate and SFRs at the time. I eventually got to the place where I wasn't making a ton of money, but it was enough money to replace my law job. And that's when I started doing the traveling. Because I was like, all right, I finally hit it. I've hit the passive income, equaling expenses for me for traveling around, and now I'm going to go live the dream. And then what I found out was that it was actually just a different form of golden handcuffs. And I was like, ah, now I got to like manage the assets. I got to manage the property managers. I got to be watching what they're doing. I'm using up all my depreciations, and now I got to get into different tax strategy. I got to be thinking about what am I going to do for my estate planning. I had a buddy that was you know, kind of mentoring me through a lot of this real estate growth. And he was a big proponent of huge umbrella policies. He's like, I just have like a $5 million umbrella policy and you'll be fine. And then he ended up in a lawsuit with a deal that went sideways. He went to his insurance company and said, are you going to cover me from this lawsuit? And they said, nope, it has to do with the deal that went sideways on you. There's, you know, breach of contract issues, emails that they're saying like we're fraudulent. Um, You know, because everybody just alleges whatever they want to, you know, everybody lies when it comes to lawsuits. And he lost $3 million from a single lawsuit. I was like, holy smokes. All right, now I need to like get serious about my asset protection as well too. So it was a big wake up call and learning from somebody else's mistakes and their setbacks. And even if you had like a single LLC, you would be at least $3 million richer today, which is really sad. But that's my journey, doing that for myself and then building a company to help other people essentially just put in place to replicate, here's asset protection, estate planning, tax, insurance, and investing strategy that works to help you be able to get to a lifestyle if you want a different lifestyle even. But that's just me living my life and building a company for my own interests and inviting other people to come join in if they want to. For real estate investors starting out, at what point would you recommend that they start looking at asset protection? At the moment that you're going to cry if you lose it. You should probably protect it. And that's different for everybody. Like if you don't care about it, then why would you protect it? Why would you spend money to protect something you don't care about? But at the moment at which you're going to put yourself in this position to say, I will experience significant distress in life if I lose whatever XYZ thing is, then you say, well, great. Then what you're paying for is I should protect that thing. More so than anything else, I would say, because... Life is just gets better. Life gets really, really shitty when you come to a place that says there's somebody else out there that's going to lie about something. And then all of a sudden, they're going to put me and my life in turmoil for typically one to three years as I'm afraid that I'm going to lose this thing that I really care about. So for most people, that's typically over like $50,000. 
they'll put together like a single LLC or something like that. And then you get more sophisticated than that as your net worth increases. We have full training courses and everything. We offer for free on everything about asset protection and all of these things that we actually do for people through like the vault um, through our website. But I'd say over 50K, to me, that's enough money to cry about, especially to only spend one to $2,000 to make sure that everything that I own is now protected. Probably a pretty good idea. In terms of timeline, Neil and I are general partners with a syndication that specifically focuses on self-storage. But we have a lot of the investors that invest with us have single family homes, short-term rentals, multifamily, kind of runs the gambit. If somebody comes to you with a small portfolio or may not even depend on the size, if they come to Royal Legal Solutions and they're like, hey, this is what I got. This is my exposure level. How much time does it take you to kind of look at everything and put a plan together and walk them through getting that protection put in place? Typically, we deliver in about four weeks. Maximum is typically about six weeks. And that's to do all of the asset protection strategy, forming all of the entities, transferring all the assets in, forming everything with the estate plan, the living trust, pour over wills, healthcare power of attorneys, durable power of attorneys, anything that we need to do there. Going through with the CPA and BA CFO to look at all of your tax strategy, your portfolio performance to get you to blended ROI between your tax savings plus your return on investment, your cash flow or net worth pieces, and look at a little bit of cash flow management, you know, make sure that those pieces are going to run right. And it's about six weeks start to finish to go through. So we're really proud of that. Typically, most people will spend one to two years to try to develop like a team and get all the systems and processes right, the meeting schedules right, get all the professionals talking to each other. But that's what we wanted to do is say, like, how do we accelerate people as fast as possible into all the stuff I was studying from ultra rich people that I was sneaking into the rooms with, like Tiger 21 and whatnot, because I wanted to know, okay, what all these rich people know that I don't know that I could put in place for myself now. And then that's essentially what I did with Royal Legal Solutions was is just figure out how to do that thing. What are the rich people actually doing? How can we actually deliver in like a fractional kind of way to the average investor that's worth zero to $25 million, makes something over 150 to 200K a year? So if we're talking, uh, you know, an investor who's at the level of, let's say, more than 10, less than 20 single family, small multifamily properties, and maybe a couple of positions in a couple of LP positions and a syndication, what's a basic starting point for asset protection? Yeah, great question. So number one, you want to compartmentalize every single asset that you own and you want to own all of your assets anonymously. The reason why you want to own things anonymously is that's how you stop lawsuits before they start. And the reason you want to compartmentalize assets is that way, if there's ever a lawsuit to get one asset, you like shrink the pie of how much they can go for, which not only keeps you feeling safer, it also disincentivizes the lawsuit because the whole lawsuit's predicated on how much money they can take if they win. So I had a client that did had a similar mix to the assets that you had. And so she had single family homes and syndications. And we used a series LLC for all of those structures, for all of those different investments. She actually had a syndication in the past where the LP interest got pierced, that they pierced the corporate veil and were coming after limited partners. So she wanted to make sure that even her LP interest there and series LLCs will let you create an infinite number of companies for free. So it's a great way to be able to scale your asset protection and your one to four unit space, as well as your syndication investments, notes, anything like that. Compartmentalize everything for free in that way. Now, when it comes to multifamily, those typically you're going to need single purpose entity LLCs because of financing purposes. The banks are going to want to see that as like a standalone entity 
formed in the state of wherever the asset's located, and then do the financing in that way. But this compartmentalization stuff is no joke. It is hyper-effective. Like she had a property that she ended up flipping and there were some emails back and forth about like what plumbing in the property was replaced. Then, you know, the buyers went on vacation and there was a leak in some of the plumbing upstairs and there was $75,000 in damages to the property. So of course, what does every buyer do at that point? They're not the ones taking the responsibility for everything. People lose money. They get pissed at whoever they want to blame to go after. That's just the nature of human beings. And then they only see their side of the story, which is almost all the time some form of lie. It gets so skewed in that way. And the opposing counsel ended up hitting us up about it, coming you know, as pre-litigation stages. And when I told him, I said, listen, man, you're going to run into a big problem because even if you win the lawsuit, even if you can say that we defrauded you, you know, right? We sold you the asset out of a child series, which is its own like bubble of a liability unit as part of a series LLC. That unit, that bubble, that child series, it doesn't own any other assets. So if you win a lawsuit and you want to hold that child series liable that sold you the asset, there's nothing there for you to get. And you could try to come after the client, but the problem you're going to run after there is that she sent you all of the emails through an LLC, which also owns no assets. We call that like an operating company. It's our clients like face to the world. It's what interacts with everybody. It owns no assets, but it does everything. So I was like, no matter what way you can try to win this lawsuit, there's no money at the end of the day for you to be able to come after. And that's how we're able to get the lawsuit to drop is because we said, well, we actually don't really care about the facts. We're going to win the lawsuit based upon a business analysis that it doesn't make sense for you from a business decision for you to proceed with the lawsuit. And that's how you win lawsuits before you start. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, you're taking away the argument before it ever gets to that point. So if you're coming from a position of defending yourself after somebody's coming after you, even if you win the lawsuit, there's a good chance that you're going to lose in the long run in terms of your time to negotiate and navigate the process. So you're really just taking away the motivation up front. One of those situations where I'm sure that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Especially because, you know, once you're sued, it's like getting being in the middle of a divorce. And how many guys do you know out there that are doing great with their businesses while they're getting divorced? Yeah, good point. Takes away from a lot of other things. There's all these other costs that come up that it says like it makes a lot ton of sense to stay protected and just make sure that if a lawsuit ever happens, you don't even care. I mean, that's what you really want to get to. You just don't care. You just continue to live your life. And you say, great, that's why I built a castle of protection around me, did it in a way that was affordable and have the right kind of partners. That's what we really need. If you really want to live like an A-plus lifestyle, you have to have that kind of security around you. Otherwise, you're never going to have an A-plus lifestyle because you're always going to be worried about the next thing that could go wrong. And that's not A-plus lifestyles. A-plus lifestyles are say, I got no cares. I'm great no matter what happens. To reiterate sort of what Clint was saying is that what you're doing is you're setting it up so that even if a opposing counsel were to approach you, they're looking at it and they're going, this is going to be way more work than it's going to be worth it for me to get any money because they're working on contingency. Even if I get anything, there's going to be nothing left over for the client. Right. Yeah. I mean, contingencies are just a fancy way of saying they're attorneys that work on commission, right? And this is what the sharky attorneys do. And that's why like over 95% of cases settle because what they do is they find people that are vulnerable. These are people that have assets inside of their personal name. And then they file the huge inflated dollar figure lawsuits against them to scare the hell out of them. And then what they do is they basically will put you into the position that says you either pay us a percentage in settlement, or you can take things to trial and then you can risk losing everything that you own. And that's actually the risk that you run if you don't have asset protection. You're letting somebody have that kind of leverage over you in life. Oh, that's awesome. This is the first time we've had No, it's not awesome, Clint. Well, (laughs) the thing is, a lot of people I think out there are going to end up having this conversation one way or the other. 
The question is, are they going to have it before something happens? Are they going to have it afterwards? So I think it's awesome that we're talking about it now. This is the first time we've had this conversation on this podcast, and it brings up something that you don't think about until you have a problem. And that's the last thing that you want to be dealing with. So I think it's something that people should be thinking about if you're not already, is that a lot of times it's not just about the insurance to cover your butt in case something happens. It's the structure of how you're holding your assets in place to protect yourself from the beginning. I want to ask Scott a little bit about, obviously, you're living a life that's given you location independence and you're doing some cool stuff protecting yourself and your clients along the way. When you were originally coming out of law school and you were investing, you know, you got your start with your mechanic shop and commercial space and then single family homes. I think you mentioned short term rentals as well. From the investing standpoint, now that you've become location independent and you're traveling more, are you still investing and does your perspective on investing change? We specifically talk to a lot of listeners that are working towards financial time and location independence. And a lot of times for me, I built up a portfolio that was wildly active for me to manage it originally. And even when it hit a level of financial freedom, what it didn't come with was time and location independence. And I kind of had to rebuild that and deconstruct that and go in another direction. So I'm curious to know how you originally were investing, if you're still investing now, and if your views on that have changed with the locational freedom that you have. Yeah, right now, like almost everything that I own and all my investments are into different types of like LP interests and syndications. Honestly, I get much better returns and much more consistency inside of performance, basically putting money and partnering with people that are just way better at investing than I am. I mean, invest in a lot of deals that are in the self-storage and you know other spaces right now that are typically, you know, doing stuff that's better than I could ever have done inside of my short-term rental space. Like my average investment is kicking around somewhere to like 30, 35% a year from like cash flow and projected, you know, internal rates of return are coming with it. My consistency inside of my investments is equivalent to how much time do I spend inside of groups like Tiger 21, GoBundance, and these mainly high net worth men's groups that are full of people that are investors that are also trying to get more out of life. So they're connected through some cause that's bigger than just about investing. And they're about trying to do this thing, like, how do I live life at a higher level? And how do I have investing be a part of it? Because that's the kind of person I want to be. So the way that I've structured everything for myself is to say, well, I'm going to be a part of groups of people that have a common vision of what they want their life to be, that are already successful in business, already successful inside of like what they're investing. They still love doing the investing game. I actually personally don't love doing investing more. I really love ice climbing. And I really love like helping other people get outside to experience amazing things, especially people that are boxed inside of the whole of feeling like they have to continue to grind for forever in their life. And that system allows me to be able to, for myself and for people that come in and do our biggest offers that we offer is something around like your taxes and money and everything, that whole area of your life, your estate planning only takes about two hours every three months after everything gets built. And you can only do that if you're doing syndications and LP interests. You can't run an active business for money with your investing and have anything that's close to that kind of time freedom, location freedom. What you really want to look at, if you really want to get serious about this, is what you should look at is your average dollar return per hour spent. And that includes like emails, phone calls, time you spend thinking about it, time you actually do managing the asset. And that's actually the right metric. If you want to be a super nerd like me and start tracking everything to say like, I'm going to optimize my life around like these things, that will tell you. And always active investing is underperforms passive investing. Whenever I've looked at that for myself or been with groups of men and sometimes women that have run through that and tracked that in their life. 
Well, I just want to hammer home that point that you just made. That was fantastic. Is that unless you love whatever active investment that you're involved with, more often than not, you are better off finding people who are better at investing than you are, keeping the main thing the main thing, whether you're an attorney or a doctor or living your life as a financial nomad. You're better off keeping the main thing the main thing and handing that capital over to somebody that can execute a business plan that's going to pay you a great risk-adjusted return, and you can go on living your life. Yeah, man. I would even challenge the initial premise to that in one sense, that is that nobody actually enjoys investing. Not really. People will enjoy what investing can do for them. They enjoy other things. Investing's not real thing. Love, connection, adventure, art, music, those are real things. That's part of the actual human experience that we're trying to get involved in more of the parts of our life. Investing in money is really just a mechanism by which to fuel what it means to actually be living inside of these core characteristics of who we are. If you're saying like, oh, I just love investing, I would always challenge that to say, look a little deeper and ask yourself, do you actually love investing as in it is of itself? If it gave you nothing, would you still love it? If it made you zero dollars, would you still love it? Okay, no. So then you're actually saying you love what investing does for you now. And maybe that's really the thing to focus on. And then say, how can investing work for me? How can I create systems, processes, teams, a pipeline of deals, proper management and meeting structures? So money takes care of itself and I can focus more on what it means to be living. I love that. I think that is perfect. Investing is a vehicle. When people say that they love real estate investing or whatever it kind of may be, what you really are, you love what it represents. You love the freedom that it has potential to create for you. And that's something that I don't think we talk about enough is that a lot of times, you know, even money is just a vehicle. It can get you things, but more importantly for me, it can get you time and it can get you experiences. Like at the end of the day, I personally, my one core value I try to always be true to is that I don't want to die with a bunch of things. I'd rather die with a stack full of pictures of doing things that I love with people that I love in beautiful places. And that's what investing represents to me is that it creates a level of freedom where you stop trading your time for money. What you do with that time and the freedom that creates, that's what's really important. And that's when people say that they love investing, what they're really saying is that they love what it represents or the opportunity and options that it gives for them. That's what we should be focusing on more importantly than anything else. And at the end of the day, in the same vein, whatever you're working for your career to earn your money, you're trading your time to do that, to get money. So when you spend that money on things that are not going to increase the fulfillment of your life or your relationships, you're cheating yourself and you're just wasting the time that you already invested. So we have a lot of the same core values, man. I love the way that you put that together so eloquently. Yeah, thanks, man. Because my goal in life right now is to actually just be a person who's living it. I built a company. My business partner is the CEO of the company that runs the day-to-day. I have a team of attorneys, CPAs, paralegals, the right systems, the processes, the same stuff that we've been doing for over 12 years for 2,000 clients. And that's what I'm tasked with nowadays is actually doing the hard work of saying like, great, what are all of the challenges that actually come up after you get financially free? Because I found out is that you can get financially free, you can pass all the stuff, and then there's a whole nother world out here of challenges. And people are like, once I get free from business or whatever, like I'll be bored. And I was like, and that's good because it's actually hard to live a great life. It really is. And so... 
that's what I'm out here doing is trying to spread the gospel about it's so critical that we become financially free as soon as we possibly can. Because that moment that you get to really explore the harder questions in life, which is what is really the best life that I could be living? Because I already have enough money. I don't have to be operating out of fear anymore that I'm not going to have enough or I'm not going to be taken care of or something terrible is going to happen in the future. And once you no longer have fear motivating you, then you're really stuck in this other place, which is what is it that I really want? Because I actually have all this time and there's only so much distraction and pornography and racing cars and whatever that I can absorb before I realize this ain't it. And I need something more. How do I get that? And I think that's the real challenges of life that are right there. And it becomes beautiful. You start to feel like the joy of being in service to others, which I never felt while I was working. You get to experience just the peace and serenity of like what it is to actually just move through a day and say like, what is it that I exactly want to experience today? And get intentional about that instead of intentional about how many emails and deals I'm going to bet. And it just becomes a total different shift. But everything that you learned before is totally applicable now and it'll totally serve you. So nothing's wasted, but you got to get financially free as fast as you possibly can. Get that time freedom and location freedom. I love that so much. I'm going to clip that and play it everywhere I go. But we talk about this a lot, which is you often run up, run into very wealthy people who they're financially independent, but they've spent their entire life just making money and building that nest egg that they have lost themselves and they've stopped figuring out how to do anything but make money. And they have no other purpose in life beyond that. To me, that sounds like what you're saying in your travels, your experience with like Tiger 21 and those high net worth people, if you run into those kinds of people, in what way, how do people break out of that rut? Yeah. So the real trick to it actually is sounds so simple. It's just like completely non-sexy. The best thing to do is to be focused on your business and your investing. Yeah. Get really intentional about like, what's the lane of like, how much of my time do I actually really need to be spending on that to get what needs to happen to occur there? And then you have to start running experiments. You have to start testing things and small ways to figure out like, what is it that I'm missing in life? So for example, if you're feeling like, oh, you might be a single woman or a single guy, right? You say, what I really feel like I'm missing my life is I'm missing this loving companionship. Well, I might ask you, you know, if we were sitting down for a like coaching session and you were one of my coaching clients so that people I coach personally, I would ask you about, it's like, well, how are you doing with relationships at all? Do you have any friends, people that are real close friends? I know I probably don't have any of those. It's like, well, great. Well, how can you start to, to test and to develop the skill sets of how to even be a friend so that way you can learn what it's like to be in something that is as dynamic and big as a committed, romantic, long-term relationship. And this is what is important is because you don't have to wait to start living until you're financially free. You can start finding out what are the things that I feel like I'm missing that are in my life and then really get intentional about what are like small steps, these little baby steps I can make to be able to start to develop them now. And that will tell you a lot about what aspects of your life are waiting for you to be developed once you have more time and more money. You're not starting from a cold nothing. You're running from, great, I could slowly chunk my way into things more and more over time to be living a bigger and bigger and bigger life. Well, Scott Royal Smith, this has been a great conversation. We could probably go on for another hour and really dig into more on asset protection, but I think we've covered some great stuff here. If people want to find out more about what you're all about, what would be the best way for them to do that? 
Yeah, so my website, royallegalsolutions.com, is really the best way. We have something called a vault that's in the top right-hand corner of that webpage where we have 11 eBooks, hundreds of hours of videos, full course training on everything that's asset protection, estate planning, tax, insurance, and investing. So I offer all that courses worth thousands of dollars, and I give it away to everybody for free. So that way there's no excuse to not being educated. Even if you're saying it's not the right time, it's always the right time to get educated, especially when it comes to this kind of field, right? Because you might be a great investor, but you're probably not great at all those other things. And you're probably pretty confused about all the information that's out there. So I spent the time to be able to write all this stuff, show all these videos to help clarify that for you. On the homepage of the website, there's also a video that talks about everything we do. How does it work? How are we successful? There's tons and tons of video client testimonials on there to show you that the stuff we're talking about is really real. And there's also a way to book a time with the team to be able to see what are the things that are appropriate for you now, whether it's just some single LLC or if it's something that's really much more robust. But it's really all there on royallegalsolutions.com to get all the free education and to check everything out. Couldn't possibly make it more easier or freer to be able to have good information about this stuff. That sounds great. Well, listen, Scott, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate the conversation, obviously, about what you do, but bigger than that, just about life and what your core values and beliefs are. So thank you for your willingness to share. I look forward to following your future adventures. Yeah, thanks, man. Great to be with you guys here today, Neil and Clint. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening and watching the Truly Passive Income podcast. If you liked the show, if you think it would be useful for someone else, the greatest compliment that you could give us would be to share the episode leave a comment down below or leave us an honest review. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to let us know down below. And remember, with truly passive income comes freedom of time, place, and the freedom to pursue your higher purpose.